He helped me direct my dreams and reveal the universe most only dream about. I would like, if I may, to take you on a strange journey. Welcome to Nine Cents. Nine Cents is a satanic perspective of our modern world, and I'm your host, Reverend Campbell. It is January 17th, and as of today, we have 95,052,597 worldwide cases of COVID-19, with 2,032,861 deaths. And I got a great show for you this week. In The Devil's Advocate, I'm going to settle the score here. I'm going to lay it all out, and I'm going to explain why we are the highest embodiment of human life. In uh, The Infernal Informant, Will Trump's mishandling of records leave a hole in history? And COVID uh, GOP Senator Ben Sass warned that the QAnon conspiracy theory movement is destroying the Republican Party. And we'll close it out with a little bit of fun for me. Hopefully it's a little bit interesting for you with the creature feature. This is a book I just finished, A History of Clan Campbell, Volume 1. It's interesting. I think. <laughs> Either way, let's get into it. Uh, dog... I'm glad you could join us today. How you doing, hon? Lazarus, great to see you. William, how you doing, man? Gary, what's up? Eyes wide shut. I love the film. Aaron, how are you, my dear? Rod, hey. <laughs> Jason, how you doing? James, what's up? Jessica, thanks for joining. My, <laughs> I'm not going to go off about anything. <laughs> I promise you. <laughs> All right, um... What I am going to do later on, which is why I'm doing this this afternoon, is that I'm going to go have a game night with a bunch of other Satanists and their wives. And it's going to be a great time. I am so looking forward to this. I don't really get together with people very often. And uh, this is going to be a lot of fun. We're doing like Cards Against Humanity and um, Adult Pictionary. It's, uh, you know, just sort of screwing around and having fun. And I can't wait. <laughs> it's going to be great. Brad! I'm going to be seeing you here in just a few minutes. Hours. All right. Let's do, uh, let's just, let's just do it. Let's do the devil's advocate. Do it. Right, let me throw up this image and for those of you who have watched anything I've ever done you know I am highly critical of Satanists claiming to be the highest embodiment of human life when they're not actually accomplishing anything they're not actually doing anything I just want to throw that image up there because I think it's great uh, and drinking that's right Brad. Um and so I, I've been really hypercritical about what it means to be a Satanist and behaviors that Satanists engage in. That being said, I actually 
deeply love this religion. And I think it is a position of genuine power to identify yourself as a Satanist. It's a little bit more challenging, a lot more challenging, arguably, to live the life of a Satanist. But there's some inherent wonder associated with being a Satanist. And so I, you know, we're often referred to as the alien elite. We refer to ourselves that way. And we certainly refer to ourselves as the highest embodiment of human life. But how do you measure that? How do you quantify what it means to be the highest embodiment of human life? And though my little diatribe here is not going to be definitive, and I'm sure there's going to be elements that I leave out, I've compiled a little bit, a short little list of things that I believe contribute to the idea that we are, in fact, the highest embodiment of human life. Now, for some of you, you're going to reflect on some of these notes as, you know, actions that you take or behaviors you engage in, and some of you are not. This is meant to be aspirational if it is not reflecting who you are right now. As with any Satanist, any human being, growth is inevitable, change is inevitable, and certainly as Satanists, we strive to continually refine, to trim the fat, to, metaphorically, to <laughs> uh, hone in on the core, the essence of what it is to be you, and then help that grow into this massive inferno inside of you, right? So that's what we're going to talk about. So let's get into it. Uh, so I think the first thing that separates us from a lot of people, not everyone, but a lot of people, and certainly qualifies us in the line of highest embodiment of human life, is that we re embrace reality for its goods and its ills. Goods? <laughs> All aspects of reality. If you don't embrace reality, you cannot be a Satanist because Satanists are pragmatists. They are realists. This is a very important part. If you are awash in conspiracy theories, if you just live hoping for some afterlife, you're not a Satanist. It's just not a reality. That's something that you're going to have to come to terms with. And so what do I mean by reality, right? Not just about the world around us, which is essential in lesser magic to understand, but in ourselves also, the reality of who and what we are. And not just who we are as a species, but who we are individually, right? Uh, we acknowledge our own strengths and our own flaws. We're not deluding ourselves. And this is why I think this is a, an immense uh, strength in what it means, a, a massive part in what it means to be the highest embodiment of human life. Most people go through life lying to themselves, and they believe it. They end up believing the lies that they tell. We need to challenge ourselves, challenge the ideas that we have about ourselves. And we actively embrace that idea. Uh, we do not bloviate our own ego. We acknowledge those strengths and flaws, and then we work to either refine them or get rid of them as we see fit. We do not use a moral compass handed down by some culture or religious organization in order to make those decisions. They're entirely up to us, and that is very different from the rest of humanity, as we understand it today. So understand that difference is empowering, and to embrace that difference is truly powerful. 
Okay, so that's one reason. We do not forget why culture, religion, uh, or society are the way they are. We are not forgetful of past orthodoxies. The reason why people are so easily led into repeated behavior that their ancestors uh, or others in history have fallen for is because they don't care to look past the end of their noses. They believe in the here and now, in the moment, and don't ever examine anything beyond that, to their detriment. And that's why you have people storming the Capitol thinking that it's some new riot, when you can just call it right back to the Confederacy, or call it right back to World War II, or any other failed attempt at taking over a pseudo-democratic organization, government. You understand that that's not actually what they're trying to do, and that's not actually what they're doing. When you understand history of human behavior and motivations and societies and cultures, educate yourself, and you can actually find those uncomfortable third-side perspectives. Again, that uncomfortable part at the beginning of that phrase is often left out, but it is incredibly important. Um, and I'm going to get into that in a little bit just here in a second, I'm sure. Uh, we have tools at our disposals that, though other people have, they do not frame and do not execute in the way that we do, which is very true to our human animalistic heritage, what it means and what we need psychologically as human animals, um, but also our insistence on moving through life aware and not passively, right? So satanic magic is broken down into two different aspects. We have lesser magic, which is also called applied psychology, and we have greater magic, which is a psychodrama. These two together are essential tools in manipulating the world around you. Not everyone does that. Even people who engage in ritual, like pagans of any you know, color or combination, they, 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 they do whatever the ritual is, and then they just sort of passively wait for the goddess or the earth mother to grant them what they asked for, just like a fucking prayer. We go through the psychodrama, and then we use lesser magic to grab what we want. And the reality of that grab is that it's handed to us. That's the true strength of satanic magic. Um, and not everyone has that. So that is certainly a reason why I think we are the highest embodiment of human life. Not just that we have it, but that we use it. Uh, we question all things. Most people are taught never to question anything. Especially if it's a religion. <laughs> but Satanism tells you you need to question all things. Including the religion. You may realize you're not actually a Satanist. And that helps... Well, I'll say trim the fat again. Uh, it helps get those out of the religion that truly are not part of it. And that's important. Because there's nothing wrong with not being a Satanist. There's something seriously wrong pretending to be one. Uh, but it's not just questioning our own religion. It's questioning politics, um, cultures. Uh, it, it's questioning inert behaviors that you engage in, habits that you have. You need to constantly question uh, why you're going down the roads that you're going. Why are you making the decisions that you're choosing to make? And through that, you're going to discover answers that are either going to tell you that you're doing it wrong, 
or you're doing it right. Or maybe you just have to adjust course a little bit along the way. But if you don't ask those hard questions, you're never going to find out the truth and you're just going to allow inertia to guide you rather than taking an active role in your life and driving forward with intention. Uh, we're learned. Now, I know how that sounds. And yes, it is a sliding scale, <laughs> as with everything in life. And some are more learned than others because, quite simply, some people read more than others. If you want to be educated, you have to educate yourself. And that means, you guessed it, you got to pick up a fucking book and read. It's important. It's good for you. Actually, it feels kind of good, too. Um, we demand study, not worship, as a religion and as individuals. Uh, and so, you know, we, again, apply this to our lives in the same way we apply question all things to our lives, the religion, but also the underlying questions about, you know, are we going to be the best version of what we can be, professionally speaking? We champion that idea of, of magic, of mastery that, that Major, uh, Magus Gilmore wrote about in Stanic Scriptures, uh, that there is truly a sense of magic in honing and refining in exemplifying uh, an act, a behavior, a profession, a skill, a trade, something that you put your time and energy into in order to be truly magnificent at. That's going to propel you to the top of your profession, or it's going to make you the person people come to for whatever trade or whatever craft they're looking for because of that skill that you've taken time to cultivate. Um, and again, this ties into arguably one of the most important aspects that Satanism champions, and that's real-world accomplishment. Not just sitting on your ass, typing online, seeing how many evil people follow you, and getting a sense of uh, satanic masturbation chub from it. <laughs> I don't know where that came from. Uh, the point is that you take what you learn in Satanism, apply it to your real life offline, and then succeed. Magic of Mastery is that embodied. Uh, and then the final one that I wanted to talk about was that we welcome the change within ourselves and within our environments. And we understand that, uh, sometimes they're driven, those changes are driven by us, by decisions we make but sometimes they're driven by external factors. And that's okay. Change is inevitable. It's important to understand and embrace because you cannot stop change, period. And so as we champion aesthetics, as we champion our own, and, and, and we really cultivate and carve out our own total environments in these societies we live, understanding that your tastes are going to change and then accepting that and applying it actively to your life. That's going to help it so you don't live in this shadow of who you used to be. It means you will always be present in the now. And it's difficult. And sometimes change hurts. But it is inevitable and very important to embrace. So embrace it within yourself and how you present yourself. And embrace it within your total environments and how you want to exist. Because it's not always going to be the Adams family for everyone. Some people are going to want to do a little bit more of the Munsters or maybe I Dream of Genie or whatever your fucking niche is. 
It's important to find how you want to live and then to live that way. Combine all these things. And again, you're going to find traits uh, that I've spoken to in other people in different ways. But all together, stack it together like a massive club sandwich and stick a steak in the middle of it. That is your Satan sandwich. <laughs> I don't know where I'm going with these fucking analogies. Um, that is uh, why, truly why we are the highest embodiment of human life. Because we are actively engaged with the world around us. We are actively improving who and how we think, who we are and how we think of ourselves. And how we manipulate the world around us. We're continually learning new tricks of the trade, as it were. And moving through life with intention is incredibly, incredibly important. All right. Is there anything I missed? Is there anything you guys think uh, is what really separates Satanists as the highest embodiment of human life from anyone else? Let's see. Uh, to you, it starts as a thought process and transforms into personal action. I agree, Brad. That's great. We follow our own paths and benefit our lives and our families. Indeed, Logan. And But here's the thing. You don't have to. And, and that's why personal choice and decisions you make being... Uh, made solely by yourself and not by some external factor unless of course you know that helps you um is really important because some people are not going to want to help their family and there's nothing wrong with that you may actively be rejected by your family and so these the, the choices you make do not have to be overtly destructive to those who do not appreciate or connect with you but they shouldn't be the reason why you do things you make choices to better yourself, not because of other people, but because it's what you feel truly is what you should be doing. Um, so uh, James says pagans might as well be Christians. Yeah, right. I think most of them are. Norse pagans is a little different. Odin helps those who help themselves, which may be why it's easy to move from Norse to Satanism. Interesting. Interesting way of seeing it. Um, or it just wasn't for you. <laughs> yeah. Thoughts become actions. Actions produce results. Sometimes. Uh, yeah, but that is what we should be moving through life with the frame of, right? The truth is, is sometimes we're going to work really hard at something. And we're just going to fail. And we're just not going to be able to do it. Being able to accept that is a really difficult but important thing as well. Darwinism, in your own opinion, doesn't just touch on the subject of survival of the fittest, but also evolution. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, certainly as human beings, we are clearly evolving from even just 100 years ago. Our reliance on technology is something that no other species has ever been a slave to like we have. And so we have to navigate our way through that. And maybe it means we just combine ourselves with technology. Maybe that's ultimate human inertia. But it is something that we're sort of working our way through right now. Satan sandwich. <laughs> uh, let's see. Sundays have become your reading, study, learning about yourself, and mastering yourself. <laughs> For a second, I read masturbate by yourself <laughs> as I was uh, processing that. Ain't nothing wrong with it if you're doing that too. <laughs> good on you. It's healthy. Um, all right. Anything else? I think we're good here. All right. Well, thank you guys so much for uh, chiming in on that. Let's do a little Infernal Informant. Oh, these stupid fucking curls, man. They kill me. All right.
right. Let me throw this image up and we will get to it. Well, Trump's mishandling of records leave a hole in history. This is from the Associated Press. The public won't see Donald Trump's White House records for years. But there's growing concern the collection won't be complete, leaving a hole in the history of one of America's most tumultuous presidencies. Trump has been cavalier about the law requiring that records be preserved. He has a habit of ripping up documents before tossing them out, forcing White House records workers to spend hours taping them back together. Quote, they told him to stop doing it. He didn't want to stop, said Solomon Lartley, a former White House records analyst. He said the first document he taped back together was a letter from Senator Chuck Schumer, Democrat from New York, about a government shutdown. The president also confiscated an interpreter's notes after Trump had a chat with Russian leader Vladimir Putin. Trump scolded his White House counsel for taking notes at a meeting during the Russian investigation by former special counsel Robert Mueller. Top executive branch officials had to be reminded more than once not to conduct official business on private email or text messaging systems and to preserve it if they did. And now, Trump's baseless claim of widespread voter fraud, which postponed for weeks an acknowledgement of President-elect Joe Biden's victory, is delaying the transfer of documents to the National Archives and Records Administration, further heightening concerns about the integrity of the records. Quote, historians are likely to suffer from far more holes than has been the norm, says Richard Immerman at the Society for Historians of America Foreign Relations. In the Trump White House, not only has record keeping not been a priority, but we have multiple examples of it seeking to conceal or destroy that record. Lack of a complete record might also hinder an ongoing investigation of Trump from his impeachment trial and other prospective federal inquiries to investigations in the state of New York. But even with requests by lawmakers and lawsuits by government transparency groups, there is an acknowledgement that non-compliance with the President's Records Act carries little consequences for Trump. In tossing out one suit later this year, I'm sorry, last year, U.S. Court Judge David Tatel wrote that courts cannot micromanage the President's day-to-day -day compliance. A President's Records Act states that a president cannot destroy records until he sees the advice from the National Archivist and notifies Congress. But the law doesn't require him to heed the archivist's advice. It doesn't prevent the president from going ahead and destroying records. Most presidential records today are electronic. Records experts estimate that automatic backup computer systems capture a vast majority of records, but cannot capture records that a White House chooses not to create or log in those systems. Moving a president's trail of paper and electronic records is a laborious task. President Barack Obama left about 30 million pages of paper documents and some 250 terabytes of electronic records, including the equivalent of about 1.5 billion pages of emails. The records of past presidents are important because they can help a current president craft new policies and prevent mistakes from being repeated. Quote, presidential records tell our nation's story from a unique perspective and an essential are essential to becoming uh, to the incoming administration in making informed decisions, said Lee White, director of the National Coalition for History. They are equally vital to historians. The Biden administration can request to see Trump's records immediately, but the law says the public must wait five years before submitting freedom of information requests. Even then, Trump, like other presidents before him, is invoking specific restrictions to prevent public access of his records for up to 12 years, Six restrictions outlined in the law include national security, confidential business information, confidential communications between the president and his advisors, or among advisors and personal information.
Around Trump's first impeachment and on other sensitive issues, some normal workflow practices were bypassed. A second person familiar with the process said, apparently worried about leaks, higher-ups and White House lawyers became more involved in deciding which materials were cataloged and scanned into White House computer networks when they are automatically saved, the person said. Trump was criticized for confiscating the notes of an interpreter who was with him in 2017 when the president talked with Putin in Hamburg, Germany. Lawmakers tried unsuccessfully to obtain the notes of another interpreter who was with Trump in 2018 when he met with Putin in Helsinki, Finland. It's unclear whether the two presidents talked about Russia's interference in the 2016 election. Many people suspected the subject did come up because at a news conference afterward, Trump said he believed Putin when Putin denied Russia interference despite U.S. intelligence agencies finding the opposite. Several weeks ago, the National Security Archive, two historical associations, and Citizens for Responsibility and Ethics in Washington sued to prevent the Trump White House from destroying any electronic communications or records sent or received on non-official accounts, such as personal email or WhatsApp. They also alleged that the White House has already likely destroyed presidential materials. Trump faces severe legal challenges when he leaves the White House. There are no, uh, I'm sorry, there are two New York State inquiries into whether he misled tax authorities, banks, or business partners. Also, two women alleging he sexually assaulted them are suing him. Presidential records were considered a president's personal property until the Watergate scandal under President Richard Nixon prompted Congress in 1978 to pass the Presidential Records Act over worry that Nixon would destroy White House tapes recordings that led to his resignation. After that, Presidential records were no longer considered personal property, but the property of the American people, if they are preserved. Lawmakers have introduced legislation to require audits of White House record keeping and compliance with the law. It seems obvious to me why he doesn't want records kept. He's engaging in illegal, illegal activity. That's just, it, it's, it's fucking obvious. It's obvious because he is making money off of his presidency. Why would he not do that in other ways? Like, it's, it's so fucking painfully obvious that this, the most corrupt White House, arguably ever, does not want documents kept. No shit. Here's the crux of it. Everything that's destroyed is destroyed. If it's hearsay, there's nothing you can do about it. But there's enough there that if Biden wanted to, he could throw his ass in jail. Like it would be, you know, it would be his uh, defense uh, team, but it wouldn't be Biden himself. Of course, it would be the United States of America. And then New York State, uh, real issues, <laughs> real serious issues, especially those ones with Russia. It always drives me crazy when people complain that there was no direct conflict or no direct engagement with uh, Trump and Russia when he had multiple meetings with no records of, that he intentionally either destroyed the records of the meetings or he kicked the interpreters out so they couldn't take them in the first place. And you're going to tell me that nothing went on behind closed doors? That it was just an honest, open, uh, diplomatic conversation? Are you that fucking stupid? Come on. Come on. Who are you fooling? <laughs> it kills me. Uh, that being said, I am... I am actually hopeful. I am hopeful 
Because now that Trump doesn't have the authority that he used to have over the Republican Party, I think the Republicans are going to be starting to shift away from him. And that means his businesses are going to go fucking tits up. Uh, he's going to probably face jail time. Uh, he's fucked. And I like that. Because I like seeing wealthy people, or purportedly wealthy people, get what they deserve. You know, if you don't have any wealth, or you're a middle-class person, you are screwed in our system. If you have wealth, you can probably buy yourself out of problems. But not this time. He's done it up until now. But not this time. And I can't wait to see justice done. And here's the other side of this that really drives me crazy. That's our White House, not his. What he does in that is our will, not his. And so when he fucks around, he is ruining our house. He is shitting in our house, not his. We need to hold people who take our money and act on our behalf accountable. We have to. Obama didn't do it. And now, if Biden doesn't do it, we need to get Biden the fuck out of there, too. And that's just how we roll. We have to. There have to be consequences to our leaders. Otherwise, why are we even pretending any of this is real? Why, why are we bothering? Ugh, it drives me nuts. All right. Um, let's see. <laughs> rump only corrupt piece of shit in the history of our government that has purposely destroyed or hid records no <laughs> sorry Sean not true um, almost all presidents have hid them in some way or another some are more forthcoming but they'll hide them from public access for years you know as long as they possibly can some people just destroy them and then there's no proof at all but he's definitely not the only one you know, we, we can't pretend that. Um, let's see. He's clearly hiding something if he's purging records of his own activities from the archives. Yeah, it just seems obvious to me. I agree with you, uh, Basilis. Um, Trump will go down as the worst practitioner of Western magic ever. <laughs> he did a pretty good job up until he got in office. You gotta hand him that. He is a top stake snake oil salesman like he is top tier he fooled developers contractors countries i mean he fooled a lot of people for a really long time and that's why it was so shocking that people couldn't see that he was a snake oil salesman it drove me crazy that people actually could not see how obvious in front of their face fake he was but now everyone sees it whether you like it or not i like that uh, Truman was a pig as well. We're all suffering from that era. era. The Truman era? What? I don't know how we're suffering from Truman era. You gotta educate me, man. If he wasn't a broke-ass slave to the rent in SoCal, I'd wager that Trump won't be prosecuted or serve a single day in jail. It's entirely possible, Sean. It's entirely possible. Which I hate. But it's possible. Just like Bush didn't, and he committed war crimes. Uh, Trump isn't just shitting on our White House, he's looting from it. Yeah, well, he's making a lot of money, 
Uh, I don't know if that's going to continue to happen because now people, you know, are, are running away from him. Uh, let's see. It makes you wonder why we still even have a president rather than a different form of management things. Well, I think I think it comes down to representative democracies uh, are arguably the best form of governments. The problem is, is when you have corporate investment into those, then you're not having legislation on behalf of the people. You're having legislation on behalf of the corporations because they're the ones funding the representatives. So you pass legislation, getting money out of politics, and then suddenly they're again owing us their existence. And if they don't do what we want, then we kick them out. It's that simple. Uh, but again, there's peop active people, both Democratic and Republican parties are trying to prevent that from happening because that's how they make money. Constitutional amendment, that's where we gotta go. All right, let's do the second one here. What do I got? What's I got? Ah, let's do this, it'll be fun. GOP Senator Ben Sass, Republican, borns, uh, born, warns that the QAnon conspiracy theory movement is destroying the Republican Party. No shit. You can't embrace something and then when it ruins you, complain about it. You can't, you can't shake hands with the devil and not expect him to exact his reward or his price. Uh, this is from Business Insider. Republican Ben Sass of Nebraska has... Nebraska. That's the most... I should have had my pinky out when I said that. Nebraska. Nebraska is more like it. Uh, has warned that the QAnon conspiracy theory movement is destroying the GOP in a blistering op-ed for The Atlantic. In the article, Sass describes how devotees of the movement played a prominent role in the Capitol's uh, January 6th riots. Quote, the violence that, the Americas, uh, that Americans witnessed and that might recur in the coming days is not a protest gone awry or the work of a few bad apples. It's the blossoming of a rotten seed that took root in the Republican Party some time ago and has been nourished by treachery, poor political judgment, and cowardice, writes Sass. I want to put a pin in that really quick and note he's only saying this now, at the end. If he wanted to prove that he wasn't himself a coward, he would have said it four years ago. But, you know, people come to terms with things on their own when it's safe. Uh, he praises Capitol Police Officer Eugene Goodman for luring a mob led by a man wearing a QAnon shirt away from a chamber where Senators and Vice President Mike Pence were present during the unrest. Quote, we can dedicate ourselves to defending the Constitution and perpetuating our best American institutions and traditions, or we can be a party of conspiracy theories, cable news fantasies, and the ruin that comes from them. He continues, we can be the party of Eisenhower, or... The party of the conspiracist Alex Jones. Side note, who also just disavowed QAnon. We can applaud Officer Goodman or side with the mob he outwitted. We cannot do both. The QAnon conspiracy theory movement arose on message boards 4chan and 8chan in 2017 and has gone on to embrace by a swath of the Republican grassroots praised by President Donald Trump and seen as adherent uh, Rep Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene elected to Congress. The movement believes groundlessly that Democrats and Hollywood stars run child abuse networks, which Trump is working to dismantle. Adherents who stormed the Capitol believe that they were triggered 
uh, they were triggering the storm, an event in which they believe that Trump will mass execute his political foes. Oh, boy. In the essay, Sass describes Green as a cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. He ascribes the... Do people know what that is anymore? That's when I was a kid. Is that still a thing that people know? He describes the growing strength of movements founded on conspiracy theories to factors including America's junk food media diet, the collapse of faith in institutions, and a pervasive loss of meaning. He writes of a growing fissure in the GOP between Republicans who have backed impeaching Trump for investigating the riots and those who have refused to do so. Sass is one of a small group of GOP senators who have openly opposed Trump's election fraud conspiracy theories that sparked the riots and has left open the possibility of convicting Trump in his second impeachment trial. Clearly, this was before because he was, in fact, impeached again in the House. Uh, Sass said the main, many party colleagues privately said that they were afraid of backing Trump's impeachment because they, quote, believed a vote to impeach the president would put their lives or the lives of their families at risk from hardline Trump supporters. You know what that's called? That's called terrorism. That's right. The Republican senators and representatives don't want to admit the truth publicly because they're afraid of terrorists in their own political party. That's the Republican Party. Run by terrorists. You must be proud. Sass said that many political colleagues privately said that they were afraid to back Trump's impeachment because they believed a vote to impeach the president. Oh, yeah, I already said this. Sorry. Uh, Sass calls the party to show more courage in emphatically rejecting conspiracy theories embraced by swaths of the U.S. right and for efforts to rebuild the party. Quote, until last week, many party leaders and consultants thought that they could preach the Constitution while winking at QAnon. They can't. The GOP must reject conspiracy theories or be consumed by them. Now is the time to decide what the party is about, right, Sass. I couldn't agree more. There used to be a Republican Party that, though I didn't agree with all the time, actually was respectable. Now, whether or not you agree with that, I grew up in an era that was pre-George W. Bush. That Republican Party, though it was corrupted from Reagan on, actually didn't do a whole lot of horrid, horrid things. They just pushed religion into politics, which again, is pretty bad in and of itself. Um, but they weren't literally corrupting the environment and institutions like they have since. Like they, from, from George W. on, it has just gotten exponentially worse for the uh, Republican Party. They've gone like deep sliding scale bad. <laughs> Like, even Republicans who were lifelong Republicans cannot admit that they are Republican anymore because they just don't recognize their own party. That's how bad it is. You can argue the same thing on the other side, but the other side isn't storming the castle, <laughs> so to speak. So it's not really an A to B comparison. Uh, what do you guys have to say about this? Uh, you hear the 262nd component repair company has been deployed to DC, which is interesting that it's taken the repair shop with you. Not usually done. Yeah, uh, I, I, I don't like that we have to rely on National Guard to protect um, against possible violence that is coming this this week. Uh, I like that they're 
preempting it though. I'd rather have it protected ahead of time than react like they did this last on the January 6th assault and have it take forever because Trump didn't want to allow the city to intervene. Which is bullshit. Um, storm the Capitol. Trump sent me to the Capitol riot. <laughs> yeah, that's why he was impeached. <laughs> um, Trump can even tweet it on Twitter. Anyone who does not vote in favor of the COVID 2000 relief checks in Republican Party has a death wish. That is, in fact, terrorism. You're right, William. <laughs> Uh, the Republican Party died along with Abraham Lincoln. That's a long time ago. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. And here's the thing. like, they, th There are genuine ideas in the Republican Party that I appreciate. And there's genuine ideas in the Democratic Party that I appreciate. But I can't back an entity, a party, if there's only a few fleeting thoughts that rarely are enacted in, you know, politically... By the party. Like, what the fuck? And now, it's just... The, the Republican Party is in a very tenuous position. They'll never go away, of course. Um, America needs two parties. They say they want more parties, but they never act that way. And so the truth is, is we need an easy A or B choice because Americans are fucking stupid. If you disagree with that, it's because you're fucking stupid. <laughs> Americans are dumb. So we need easy A to B you know, that's, it's like a football game, politics. You need a good team and a bad team. Is the good team the home team? Depends on where you live. <laughs> so you back whatever is emotionally resonant with you. Not logically, clearly, but emotionally resonant with you. And then you just sort of cheer for them moving forward. Unfortunately, that's kind of how it goes. Um, the GOP party is going to suffer a lot. You have to come to terms with the fact that the small contingent, and I do have to stress that because the majority of the Republican Party are not these freaking fanatics. It is the very small percentage of the party. But they are the loudest, and they're the ones gaining the most ground. So they have to decide. Are we going to be the bigoted conspiracy theory party, or are we going to fall back on our conservative roots? Not religiously, but economically. Because you speak through economics and people will side with you. Hands down every time. That's a question they're going to have to come to terms with. Uh, I mean, there's already drafts of impeachments being brought out by that fucking crazy QAnon uh, representative in Congress for when Biden actually gets sworn in on Wednesday and she's going to try to bring it to the floor for a vote. He literally has done nothing yet, but she doesn't care. She's QAnon. She just wants to uh, shit disturb the government. That's all it's about. They're insane. Literally insane. So, Republicans, are you insane? Or are you going to purge your party of insanity? Make the choice. Because it's only going to mean your future <laughs> as a party. As a viable, I should say. As a viable party. Alright, ranked choice voting is indeed an interesting concept. Yeah, maybe we should do a show on that. I'm doing good, Phil. Thanks for tuning in, man. Um, you need to give some of your own ideas to embrace either. Yeah, just in respect. Let's see. Trump reminds you of an ex-girlfriend. She would always blame others and point her finger to people for things she does, like casting her shadows on others to make yourself look good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Um, that's all I had for the Infernal Informant. Let's dive into Creature Creature.
All right, let's do this. Let's remove this picture. And I'm going to remove this one. History of Clan Campbell, Volume 1. There's three volumes in this set. Uh, I just finished the first one, so I'm going to be reading the next one here shortly. But I am obsessed with ancient human culture and my own ancestry. And so I find it very interesting to find out how cultures develop and what influenced those developments. Uh, and certainly, you go to any Scottish, or, uh, Scottish festival or Highland Games, and people are aggressive in their animosity towards clan campbell <laughs> because they blame the clan for taking ancestral lands or slaughtering people as if this is the only clan in all scottish history that ever murdered anyone it's ridiculous but people still hold on to these ridiculous ideas and so i find it very refreshing to find a volume that doesn't pull punches that's honest and open about the realities of the history of the clan. And one thing that always fascinates me, and there's no real way to get beyond it, is when you're referencing Celtic cultures, you know, whether it's your Picts, your Irish, your Norse incursion into Ireland, or your, your Irish migrating over into Scotland main area and creating the Daldriatic Scottish Empire, um, these groups all were heavily influenced by fantasy, uh, by myth, by lore. And so whenever you look at any Scottish or English or Irish or Welsh ancestry, you will inevitably run into like Arthur Pendragon <laughs> as a descendant, you know, or, or um, uh, uh, Neil the Great, which was like uh, uh, an old ancient, like 500 AD uh, Norway king that actually controlled uh, Ireland and Scotland for a while. I mean, this is... And we also have to realize, this is something that I got into really early on, was that family, or your last name, does not necessarily mean a blood lineage. Sometimes it's just other families looking for refuge and becoming septs. You know, families that sort of acted on the behalf of a larger clan in order to have protection or to have a fucking living. Like, that's really, you know, there's a lot of fostering back then, too. And so you may have adopted kids from other families. So this idea of finding this lineage, this blood lineage from you now, all the way back, this unbroken lineage is just unrealistic. It's not, it's not going to happen because there was far too much war, there was far too much death, and there was far too much mingling of families to say that there's ever a pure family of any name. If you can accept that then it's really, really interesting learning that, you know, of course, it was covered in ice during the last ice age. So as, as species were migrating throughout the rest of the world, this tiny little island space was left alone until the Vikings really started uh, getting their toes in the waters of uh, uh, raping and pillaging. And that's when the Irish and Scottish peoples really, in, you know, 500 AD around there, really started, and the, the, the glaciers were melted off and stuff. Um, where they started getting their names. Totally fascinating stuff for ancient history in my parts. Uh, but then, you know, then also learning about your own clan history and how, how tied together the Campbells were with Scotland as an entity, as a royal entity, and then as subjects to the English crown. 
very fascinating throughout all of history, and to learn how recent things like kilts and tartans actually are, and how tartans were never associated with families or clans until very recently. I'm talking 18th century recently. That's really fascinating too. So all that kind of stuff is, uh, you know, really exciting for me. Uh, that being said, uh, the History of Clan Campbell, Volume 1, there, three of them were commissioned by Clan Campbell Education Foundation, CCEF, and they were funded through donations by Campbells all over the world. Alistair Lorne Campbell of Airds was the chief executive of Clan Campbell, appointed by the chief of the clan, MacCallion Moore XII, Duke of Argyle. He was also unicorn pursuant in 1986 to 2008 to the Lord Lion King of Arms. He was managed as archivist, the cataloging of the volumes and artifacts of the Jacob Moore Library Inverary. Since 2008, he has been uh, Islay Herald of Arms Extraordinary in the Court of the Lord Lion. And he wrote these three. So he is this scholar that is steeped in ancient history, and he has gone through archives of papers in order to compile these histories and honestly address them. Sometimes, you know, he admits, you know, the, the, the Campbells of this region did bad things or they were screwed over in these other areas or decisions that they made led to these consequences. No punches pulled, and I love that. Don't glorify your clan. Be honest about it. Uh, just as a quick note, the Clan Campbell Education Foundation is a 501c3 nonprofit, tax-exempt, charitable, and educational foundation founded by and closely aligned with the Clan Campbell Society of North America. The purpose is to educate the public regarding the clan, Scots, and Scotland, and to increase the understanding of the American public of the Scottish and Scottish heritage, in particularly... Uh, they promote the study, promotion, and perpetuation of Scottish culture, including history, music, dance, art, athletics, language, and cuisine, and to carry on and conduct charitable and educational programs. Volume 1 spans the years from the earliest times to 1513 and the death of the second Earl of Argyll at the Battle of Flodden Field. Uh, it is illustrated with tons of maps and genealogy pages and uh, images, and it's just really rich and exciting if you're a history buff like I am. I love it. And it addresses not just Clan Campbell, because Clan Campbell really solidified itself in Argyle, which is on the western coast of Scotland. <laughs> Irish had a huge influence on everything Scottish. Irish families, um, uh, uh, the Pict families that uh, Scotland ended up sort of merging with, um, the patronymic and matronymic uh, land and name uh, um, handing down of name and land I can't think of the fucking name <laughs> god damn it but I always I find it very interesting that um, in the Pictus, Pict society which were the original peoples in Scotland it, it was women who owned land it was women who handed down their family names not men women women had the power and when the Irish came over and the Daldriatic Scottish Empire was first formed, the Irish always used men's name and men as landowners. And so as the two intermingled and interbred, the females lost power because it was all Catholic religious zealots that were the Irish, let's be honest. Um, they didn't want women having any authority, and so they sort of bred it out. It's fascinating to me. So anyway, that's, that's a sort of side note of very early chapters and stuff. Um, I just, I, I love, I love history. I love finding out 
about it. And uh, if you are Scottish or have Scottish lineage, you could read this book and learn a lot about your own clan because it doesn't just address Clan Campbell because, of course, Clan Campbell came from other clans, as every Scottish family did. It all goes back to Ireland. And so if you're Irish, especially learning about the lineage of where you come from, this book addresses all of it. So it's, it's very, very fascinating. And finding the ties between families and the marriages in order to gain land and hereditary titles and have it passed down to control. Seeing clans rise to prominence and control in Argyle and then lose them because of who they backed politically. Uh, it's just, I fucking love it. It's so fascinating to me. Anyway, if you dig that sort of thing, I highly recommend this book. It's actually kind of expensive, but it's worth it. All the money goes back into education. And again, I think education is really important, so I don't mind it. That's it. Oh my gosh, that's all I got. And I'm early. <laughs> Shit. Okay. Well, that's it for this episode of Nine Cents. I hope you guys enjoyed it. You can view past episodes of my satanic series on reverendcampbell.com. If you uh, appreciate whatever I do here, uh, subscribe to the YouTube channel, sign up to the email list, and click that little thumbs up, that like button on the video. That actually helps spread it around so other people can be exposed <laughs> to me. <laughs> Not so I can expose myself to them. There's a difference. Uh, that's going to be later tonight. <laughs> Um, and of course, if you want to learn more about Satanism and the Church of Satan, visit churchofsatan.com and read the Satanic Bible. It's fascinating, it's fun, and it's good for the whole family of certain ages. <laughs> anyway. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in. Have a fantastic week and hail Satan. <laughs>